It's time for WAKR's This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Cartridge World in North Canton, your home for copiers, printers, and supplies. This week we're focusing on the recent decision by the Federal Securities and Exchange Commission to allow the cryptocurrency Bitcoin to be traded on exchanges like stocks. Eleven issuers, including big companies like Fidelity and BlackRock, for example, are now allowed to do the trades, opening the way for both big and small investors to start buying Bitcoin in a way that will be easier and at least potentially a whole lot less risky than was previously possible. But like any good story involving big money, there's also some big intrigue tied into this particular tale. It seems that somebody hacked the SEC Twitter account on January 10th and released some information that caused quite a stir. As we hear now from CBS News correspondent Peter King. It was a case of damage control for the SEC after somebody broke into its account and posted that the agency had approved a long-awaited Bitcoin exchange fund. Shortly after the post, SEC Chair Gary Gensler used his personal account to say that was not the case. It was not an official SEC post. It was not true. The fake post briefly inflated the Bitcoin price to nearly $47,000. It appears the SEC regained control of its account shortly after that. Peter King, CBS News. Then the very next day, January 11th, the plot thickens. And just like when the Dobbs decision leaked out before the Supreme Court officially made it back in 2022, the SEC actually did what the unauthorized leak said they were going to do and approved the Bitcoin ETFs. For more on why that's important, I talked to Kent State University finance professor David Pelleg. One of the impediments to the acceptance of Bitcoin was this fear that the U.S. government or the Fed may decide to try to ban it in some way. Now that the U.S. government has approved an ability for anyone with an IRA or a stock fund, which is everybody, to have direct exposure to Bitcoin without worrying about wallets and custody and all that stuff and hackers, uh, that has opened the market to, A, a lot of investors now who couldn't invest, now that money can invest. And two, now the largest financial institutions in the United States, like JP Morgan is involved in market making on these products. The largest financial institutions are now involved and are making money from the product and have some influence, right, in the government. So now the likelihood of the United States deciding to ban Bitcoin has gone close to zero. One of the reasons why Bitcoin has always been so risky, beside the fact that it fluctuates and stuff, is that, you know, hackers just can get in and take it and then it just evaporates. It's gone and like nobody knows where it is and you can't get it back. So why should I feel any more secure knowing that J.P. Morgan or Bank of America or whoever it is that's got it, why should I feel like they're not going to get hacked and, and my money's still going to evaporate? Well, here's the thing. But say if the fund got hacked and hackers stole a million dollars or something, you would be able to sue them, one of the largest companies in the world. So you have recourse now. Whereas if you hold a wallet, a Bitcoin, and you lose the your password, you're done. There's no one to talk to. They don't want to sue. A uh, hacker steals your code, no one to talk to. So in this case, you own shares in a listed entity, 
iBit fund or whatever. And there are custodians, Bank of New York Mellon, who are holding the Bitcoin. There are lots of people to sue if something goes wrong. Well, yeah, but that presumes, one, that I can afford a lawyer, and two, that I would know how to do that. No, no, no. If uh, Trust me, if a big bank messes up and you can be sued for billions of dollars, you don't have to worry about paying for the lawyers. <laughs> the lawyers are going to pay you. Right, right, right. But be that as it may, I, I'm still going to be out of pocket, at least for some period of time. And, and the other thing is, like, for example, one of the big companies that I do business with personally that supposedly has really good security, I mean, they just got hacked. Now, I didn't lose any money that Correct. I know of. They said that my information was compromised. And the only thing that I could do, my only recourse, was to take a couple of years of identity theft protection, you know, which a fat lot of good that's going to do me in three years or five years if they still have my bank account number and my social security number and whatnot, right? So the idea that I could, in some ephemeral way, join a class action lawsuit, that doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence. But I do see why people feel better about this. I still don't see it as like a really rock solid kind of deal. Am I wrong oh, or yeah. not? This, so last week, if you decided to put $1,000 into Bitcoin, you'd have to open a Coinbase account and that's a hassle. And uh, and then you expose yourself to, you know, Coinbase. I guess Coinbase is a pretty respectable. If you were going to buy a million dollars, which would mean you'd either need expensive custody or you'd have to get a you know your own a hardware wallet and take some steps to make sure you didn't get hacked or you have the risk of getting hacked. So as of this week, you already have a brokerage account if you have any stocks or you have an IRA. You would have opened no new accounts. It would be simply like buying another stock. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and that's so that opens up Bitcoin to another several, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 trillion dollars now have the ability to invest in Bitcoin institutionally, whereas last week they did not have that opportunity. And so is it only Bitcoin or are we also talking about Ethereum and some of the other kinds of cryptocurrency? Great question. The first funds are only Bitcoin. However, everyone is now expecting an Ethereum ETF to be approved and the Ethereum prices have jumped up in anticipation of that. And it's probably pretty likely that we'll get an Ethereum, uh, Ethereum ETF launched. And then probably that'll be followed by, you know, maybe a 50-50 and some other combinations of coin ETFs. But I only think that Ethereum and Bitcoin are, are uh, institutionally friendly enough at this point to get into an ETF. So and, for your uh, average investor, like somebody like me or you that has a 401k or an IRA or whatever, not that you're an investment advisor, but would it make sense to put some money in Bitcoin? I think if you were gonna buy Bitcoin and you don't wanna have to worry about the technology stuff or hackers, these uh, will be one of your best ways to access that risk if that's a risk you want to take. Uh, and 
The other interesting thing is that since the SEC approved 11 different applications, that means that all of those funds are competing with one another, and that's going to push the fees that they charge down to a low number. Hmm. As an investor, you don't know if the market's going to go up or down, but you do know that fees are guaranteed. Right? That's the one thing you know. So the lower the fee, the better your chances are. That was Kent State University finance professor David Pellick, and I'm Jean Destro. Thanks for listening. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. This has been This Week in Tech with Gene Destro on WAKR, brought to you by Cartridge World in North Canton.